It's going to be a great conversation with Pastor Eli James, Christian patriot, believes wholeheartedly America is the regathering place of the 12 tribes of Israel, Bible historian, interpreter of biblical prophecy, Vietnam veteran, diehard anti-communist, and critic of the 501c3 corporate churches, which have sold out the true gospel in favor of mammon. He's also a constitutional scholar and an avowed champion of free speech and the right to bear arms. In other words, he's a fighting preacher, and I like him already, so let's talk to him for the first time on Caravan, Pastor Eli James. Welcome, Pastor. Yeah, Thanks I for like coming me, on tonight. I, I, I like me, too, and I like you, too, because you got the similar spirit. <laughs> well, but, I'll tell you. Yeah, this is, uh, America's in trouble, really big trouble, and uh, your listeners know it, and my listeners know it, but the general public really needs to know it, and uh, you're doing a great job of getting well, that word across. Well, thanks for that. You know, um, it didn't escape my uh, attention, and this is years ago. I'm talking 2007, I think it was. The uh, Presbyterian Church decided to split down the middle, so this one big one over in the Highland Park, uh, Texas, split right down the middle. 4,000 went away, and 4,000 stayed right there uh, because they didn't want, half of them didn't want, and want gay pastors and want gay weddings in their church. And same things happen now to the Methodist Church. Now the United Methodist Church, there's two of them. Now there's a global Methodist Church. So what's going on here, Pastor James? Well, yeah, this is a a development that was predicted by Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, where he said there would be a great falling away of all the, the, the Christians, the churches, just before the second coming of Jesus Christ. And the people would fall into a great delusion all right, so that's what we're seeing. We're seeing the entire planet uh, falling into a great delusion, not just the Christian world, but the entire world because of COVID, of the lockdowns, and the false, the fake news, all right, fake religion, uh, fa- fake scholarship, fake science, you name it, it's fake, right? And then uh, uh, the Apocalypse of Baruch, Baruch was uh, Jeremiah's scribe. He wrote, he wrote a book, uh, The Apocalypse of Baruch, in which he said in the last days, the people would fall into a great stupor. And so you look around you, what do you see? You see stupor everywhere and fear, lots of fear, okay? And the first thing a Christian should keep in mind is not to be fearful. If you're fearful in these end times, that means you don't understand the Scriptures because the Scriptures tell us that those who obey His commandments, uh, this is a Revelation twelve eighteen. those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus Christ have nothing to fear. But most of these churches, as the ones you just described, that allow gay marriage or gay participation at all, are playing with the Antichrist. They're not, they're not playing by the rules that Yahweh God has given to us to live by. And that's the, uh, that's the dividing line. It's the pass-fail. If you obey his laws... You will get into the kingdom. If you don't, you won't. It's pretty, it's pretty much that simple. You remember when we were kids, every once in a while we'd come across something from the, uh, the Post or, um, or Life magazine or something or one of the, the adult publications, whatever, whatever it was, which I don't mean. I'm not talking about girly pictures. And you'd see a cartoon of a, of a guy yeah. in a long one-piece Mr. Natural suit saying, with a hole in the sign that says, the, the world will end at 4 o'clock. And everybody kind of thought, oh, yeah, whatever. There's always a nut out there with that. Do you believe we're in the end times? Do you, I mean, do you really think it? you believe it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, uh, it was 2020. 
And, uh, you know, I do a lot of shows on Eurofolk Radio, uh, and I've been covering the COVID fiasco even before it happened because uh, uh, I've been doing shows about uh, Ukraine from 2014 on and showing how fake that whole scenario is and uh, covered the, the mass epidemics, the swine flu, bird flu, MERS, you, you name it. And all of these, as I've been reporting to my listeners, these are all fake epidemics, fake academics too, fake epidemics that have been staged in order to see how many people will swallow the bait and get the jab, right? Well, all of those have failed. So when 2020 came along and I realized, oh, this time the globalists are serious they're not going to back off this time. They're going to give us the kill shot. And I said, okay, this is it. This is World War III, Battle of Armageddon. And the first shot fired was with a hypodermic needle. No pun intended. No pun intended. <laughs> right. Amazing. And indeed. And it's yeah. amazing that these, these traitors inside our country, and uh, well, you're just alleging that. You're declaring that without proof. Well, I think we've got plenty of proof. The traitors inside this country worked with the totally godless Chinese Communist Party, the ones who will uh, kill you if they come to your house a second time, uh, and they've already replaced your crosses and your uh, and your pictures of uh, Lord Jesus and all that stuff that uh, Christians yeah. typically have around their houses. You, they show up there again, and you've got that stuff, they'll kill you. Are you talking about China or America? <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I was talking about China. Is that, is yeah, that, right? that going to start happening here next? Right? Oh, it's already started. I mean, the Christian, Christianity is under assault right here in America. And, of course, it's it's very obvious to me that the Gates jab is exactly what uh, Revelation 17.13 or 13.17 said, that this is the mark of the beast, and those who do not accept the mark of the beast will not be able to buy or sell. And that's exactly what's going on right now. The Gates jab is actually an mRNA RNA DNA uh, changer. It actually changes your DNA to be a receptor of electromagnetic uh, uh, transmissions, and uh, so they can turn you into a walking debit card. All right. So now they've turned us into walking debit cards, and you know what's coming next is central bank uh, digital currency, because it's real obvious that the Federal Reserve note internationally has been so hyperinflated that very, very few uh, countries and even companies are accepting it anymore. So the Rothschilds have their ace up, up their sleeves, and it's called central bank digital currency, which they won't require any paper for, and, uh, and but they'll have access to your bank account. You know what? I want to remove the commercials, except for the mandatory ones at the top and bottom of the hour. I'll just okay. say this one time. You all join us tomorrow night for a... For a Sorry, Pastor, we call them Naked Lines Friday because the calls aren't screened, so I call them Naked Lines. Um, we got a good deal for you from fuelup.gg slash John B. I want all of you all to be there tomorrow and take advantage of this because uh, summer's just really getting rolling here and dehydration is rampant. So that's the only commercial we're going to hear uh, that has to do with Caravan or any Caravan products, all right? But I want to get right into this. We've been going round and round and round about, all right, here's Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord had right. said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show you, or shew thee. 
and I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Was he addressing the Jews? And if not, who was he addressing? Okay, well, the verses you just read do not mention the Jews at all. The word Jew does not even appear in the Bible until Second uh, Kings 6.16, when it's talking about the house of Judah, which uh, was engaging in war against the house of Israel. It was an internecine battle between the two houses, as most Christians should know, that after the death of Solomon, the kingdom of the twelve tribes divided into two, the northern ten tribes under Jeroboam and the southern two tribes under Rehoboam. And uh, so those two houses thenceforth began fighting against each other, okay? So that's the first time you encounter the word Jew, but there it means the Judah, house of Judah, okay? So what's going on here is that the Bible, well, let's put it this way. You have Dan, uh, the the Individuals, the members of the tribe of Dan are called Danites. The members of the tribe Issachar are called Issacharites. The members of the tribe of Zebulon are called Zebulonites, etc. Judahites, uh, Benjaminites, Ephraimites, so forth. Okay. So where did this word Jew come from? Well, it should be tra- translated Judahite because the Judahites are the direct descendants of the patriarch Judah. It's their tribe. Okay. And so all the other tribes are treated likewise, but this uh, Jew, the word Jew comes from the fact that the rabbis of Judaism and uh, created what's called a Masoretic text. The Masoretic text is what the King James translation is based on, and so the rabbis influenced the King James translator to use Jew, Jew instead of Judahite. Okay, so we're going to get into that a little later, depending on how much time we have. But first, let's address... These uh, these verses here. So, who is he talking to? I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Well, these addresses, these verses are addressed to Abraham. They're not addressed to anybody else. They're addressed to Abraham and all of his descendants. Not just the Jews, if they are the tribe of Judah. We'll get to whether they're Judahites or not a little later, okay? So, what we're seeing here is that this this promise here, whoever it's made to, it says, you will be a blessing. This is an unconditional promise, unlike verse 3, which is a conditional promise, depending on whether people bless the descendants of Abraham or not, okay? So, when I look at these verses, and I look at the record of Judaism and the Jewish record versus Christianity— in the 1900 years since the crucifixion of Christ, there has been nothing but war between the Jews and the Christians. The Christians did not consider Jews to be their friends, and they did not consider Jews to be fulfilling this blessing, right? In fact, quite the contrary, because the popes, Napoleon, and many other people uh, routinely accused the Jews, of, because of their money-lending practices, tax farming, taking advantage of the peasants and generally creating economic depressions and chaos, they considered Jews not to be these people, okay? So now let's get into verse 3, which is conditional. 
which says, And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curse thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Okay, it's still not talking about Jews here. It's talking about the descendants of Abraham. And the uh, tribe of Judah is the grandson of Abraham, and uh, the tribe of Judah is not mentioned here either. So if the Jews claim to be Judah, they're not mentioned, period. Okay, (laughs) what we're talking about here is Abraham and his three wives. His three wives, Hagar, who is the father of the Ishmael, mother of the Ishmaelites, Okay, and the Ishmaelites were of 12 tribes who lived in the Middle East uh, from from the time of their beginning here in Genesis uh, chapter 12 and a little further on when we talked about the beginning of Ishmael. Okay, then we have the the beginning of Isaac. Uh, He's the only son of Sarah, and Isaac is the covenant son, the, the son to whom the covenants, the promises, and everything that uh, the father has bestowed upon his family then devolves upon Jacob, okay? In addition to Hagar and Sarah, Abraham had another wife, Keturah. Keturah is the mother of the Indo-Aryans and all the East Arabs, if I would call them that. The Iranians are actually descendants of Keturah. I think the Kurds are also descendants of Keturah. So essentially the entire Mesopotamian era and the Arabian Peninsula are exactly these descendants by by whom the world will be blessed, okay? Especially the descendants of Isaac. So there's a verse called Genesis 21.12 in which it says, In Isaac shall thy seed be called. All right, that's telling us that his descendants will be named by the name of Isaac, which is, of course, the Anglo-Saxon, Celtic, and Caucasian people of the world. We are the Saxons. And that word Saxon comes from Escusa, Sake, especially Sake. And uh, the habit of our people often is to drop, if your name begins with a vowel, our people tend to drop the vowel and give you uh, a nickname. You know, like uh, Elizabeth will be shortened to Beth or Liz, that sort of thing. And so we see that these Anglo-Saxon people uh, wandered into Europe and became known as the Caucasian people. So, as I just mentioned, the ten northern tribes, they they were split off from the two southern tribes, but they were taken into captivity into Assyria. And this was the north end of the Mesopotamian area. And they got tired of being slaves, and so they uh, reasoned among themselves, well, we don't have any slaves anymore, so let's go and tra- go north and travel to uh, wherever we can go, right? And so they crossed the Caucasus Mountains, and this is Isaiah chapter 11, verse 16, where it says they, they left their uh, home behind, which was then Assyria, and traveled across the Caucasus Mountains and came out the other side. This began 745 B.C. We've kind of done the, the historical research to find the exact date. The half-tribe of Manasseh was taken captive in 745 B.C., and then the other tribes added to it, including the uh, members of the tribe of Judah. They were added to this uh, group in Assyria. And so once they were, were, were tired of being slaves in Assyria, they went and crossed the Caucasus Mountains and came to a land called Ar-Sereth, which was 
uh, the Black Sea, on the other side of the Black Sea, and where our people began to disperse from uh, from the Black Sea up the Danube, Danube River, up the uh, various rivers of Europe, like the Don River, uh, ultimately the Rhine River, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so we you see the place names of the European nation states uh, are named after the various tribes of Israel, uh, Judah. Uh, settled in the Judah Peninsula, the Jutland, as it was called in the, in, in the past. Now it's called Denmark, but in the past it was called Jutland. And the Anglo-Saxons crossed into England and became uh, the progenitors of England and the English people. Uh, the, the tribe of uh, Dan is very common among the Vikings. Okay, so we see, and you see. The place names, rivers, hills, uh, valleys in Europe, all named after these various tribes, and the symbolism of the tribes comes with them into all these places. So now this is uh, very a little understood, although most uh, Bible scholars know that this happened, but there's very little emphasis placed on it. And the, and the Jews actually teach that, uh, well, those ten tribes were completely lost, never to be heard from again. However, when Jesus refers to these lost tribes of Israel, the word he uses is apolumi. Apolumi does not mean something lost and never to be found. Apolumi means put away in punishment. And the only people in the Old Testament who were put away in punishment were the 12 tribes of Israel. So he said, I am looking for what that which has been lost. Okay. In John 7:35, Jesus tells the Pharisees that he has another, has another people, uh, not here in Judea but elsewhere, that he needs to minister to. And so when he said said this to him, him, (laughs) when he said this to them, they reasoned among themselves and said, "Where will he go? To the Greeks?" Well, as it turned out, the the tribe of Israel had that become an immense multitude in the Greco-Roman world. They had filled out much of Greece, much of old Syria, uh, much of Rome, much of Europe. And by the time that um, that even the, the Gospels were being written, because the Gospel of James starts out with the words, to the twelve tribes of Israel scattered abroad, greetings. So it's very clear from the Gospels that the the two tribes in Judea, namely Judah and Benjamin, with a bunch of Levites serving those two tribes, were totally aware that the other tribes totally existed in other parts of the world, especially Europe. Okay? You got me so far? Yes, I do. Okay? So this is actual history of the 12 tribes of Israel, okay, which just about everybody uh, forgets. Now, so why, why does the Bible talk about these migrations and nobody uh, cares to follow through, okay? So what we're finding here in Christian identity, which is the religion that teaches the migrations of the 12 tribes, that we have a tremendous history uh, based on the Bible, that uh, follows the migrations of these 12 tribes. Now, a lot of it is in the Bible. A lot of it is in the secular works devoted to you know, the, the, the study of the Bible historically. Okay? Uh, so, for example, 
in, uh, in recent years, in fact, recent months, the archaeological research has shown that Mount Ebal, which was the place where the curses in Deuteronomy 30 were given by the Israelites, actually took place because they found a, a lead scarab, for lack of a better word, uh, a lead tablet, very, very small, in which they found the name of Yahweh and the word curse several times, uh, duplicating the, the Deuteronomy chapter 30, where th- this event actually took place. And archaeologists from Texas actually uh, did some amazing research there and determined, well, this had to be 1406 B.C. So, uh, but, uh, you know, so we'll get to this uh, in a little while, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk a, a bit more about this, okay? That'd be great. We have the uh, the whole hour minus our mandatory top on uh, bottom of the hour breaks, and we'll get into a bunch of things. Uh, I'll just toss out a couple now while we burn up a couple of seconds because I won't anybody here except the engineer. <laughs> That's it. That's it. As we visit with Pastor Eli James, Pastor, you want to pick up where you left off, or you want to you want to move on because you were on yeah, the well, uh, yeah, yeah, you had mentioned that uh, there that. Uh, there are a lot of white people in, in this area. And the point that I was going to make about the descendants of Abraham through his three wives is that they were all, in fact, white people. Uh, Noah himself was white. So were his three sons, uh, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. They were all white. Okay, and if you go through the historical records, the statuary, the carvings on walls, the uh, visages on coins, etc., you find that all of these people were white. <laughs> and, and that's because Noah was white, and so was Adam. The word Adam comes from the Hebrew word Adam, which means to show blood in the face. Okay? So we're talking about a bloodline coming from Adam all the way down to Jesus Christ. The Bible gives us that bloodline very clearly from Seth, okay, from Seth all the way down to Jesus Christ. And there was no how should I put no non-Adamic blood in there, although a lot of people say, well, Ruth was a Moabitess, but I've done the research on that, and I found that uh, that's a territorial name, like you're a Texan, I'm an Illinoisan. Ruth was not a Moabitess by race. The scriptures clearly show that uh, that whole territory was deprived of Moabites for about 200 years before she even entered. There weren't any Moabites there. So, and then uh, Rahab, who uh, was uh, the mother of Jesse, and she lived in the, you know that uh, uh, that tower that uh, the Israelites uh, protected her you know, when they were spies. She it turns out was actually a descendant of Ephraim, the tribe of Ephraim. Uh, a very little known episode in the tribe of Ephraim was you know, when Yahweh predicted that the Israelites would go in and take Canaan land. The, the tribe of Ephraim made a big mistake of trying to do a foray into Canaan land and to occupy it before Yahweh gave them permission to do that. They were supposed to do it with the other Israelites under Joshua, okay? But they took the foray and they, they lost bitterly, except one of the youngest son of Ephraim survived, and he was the father or the progenitor of Rahab. So Rahab was actually an Israelite, <laughs> okay? She, she was not a Canaanite. She was not an innkeeper. She was not a, uh, a whore, as a lot of people say. 
She was actually in charge of the Egyptian embassy. She was in charge of the Egyptian embassy there, and she was an Ephraimite. So I've done all this research on the, you know, the, the characteristics and the bloodline of the Israelites going back all the way to Adam and down to Jesus Christ, and of course, through Europe. And uh, the, the 12 tribes, after crossing the Caucasus Mountains, they, they spread out all over Europe, founded all the nation states, uh, giving fulfillment to the prophecy that the Israelites would have nations and companies of nations, like the United States, Great Britain, Canada, Australia. Oh, we're the only ones who fulfill that prophecy. The Jews, on the other hand, on the hand never have uh, created a country, and the country they have today, which they claim for themselves, is actually, in my opinion, belongs to the Palestinians, okay? Because the Rothschilds made a deal with the British to take possession of Palestine illegally. And uh, uh, Lawrence of Arabia, when he was fighting for the Arabs, he was fighting under the idea that the British were going to protect the Palestinians and give Palestine back to the Arabs after the Turks were defeated. However, Lawrence of Arabia was mightily disappointed. In fact, he was so angry when the British and, and the Jews, the, the, the Zionists at the time, betrayed the Arabs that he went on a speaking tour denouncing both the Zionists and the British for the betrayal of the Arabs. Okay? So, because uh, a lot of uh, Jews say, well, this is our country, but, uh, and it was born in a day. No, it, the Balfour Declaration was issued around 1917, and there was behind-the-scenes finagling to take that country away from the Palestinians for up to 30 years. Okay, So it took that long, that much finagling, for the uh, Jews to take possession of that country. All right? So... And then uh, I, I did some research there, and it turns out, well, the only Jews who were living in Palestine at that time were the Sephardic Jews. So the Sephardic Jews, for the last 1,900 years, were actually living in peace with the Palestinians and the Christians during all this time. In fact, I got a, a recording of a, a Palestinian who's actually an Arab who said, well, we've been living together for all these centuries, and we even babysit each other's kids. There was no problem among the Palestinian people with these three religions living amongst one another. The problem came when the Zionists, who are Ashkenazi Jews, all right, they're Ashkenazi Jews, who, according to H.B. Uh, Wells, said, no, these Ashkenazi Jews are not Israelites or Shemites at all. Their ancestors never set foot in Israel, okay? And this was common knowledge at the turn of the previous century that the Ashkenazi Jews are not Israelites, okay? So the present people who have made military war against Palestine are in fact not Israelites at all, but are Ashkenazi Jews whose composition is Japheth, Mongol, and Hittite. All right. So these people, what they did was they converted to Judaism in around 740 BC, uh, sorry, AD, 740 AD, and the leaders of the Khazars, as they were known then, converted to Judaism. And this is the basis upon which the, the Ashkenazi Jews invaded Palestine. However, 
Their claim to Palestine is based on literal descent from the tribes of Israel, which they cannot establish. So that, that John, is a gigantic fraud. And so the world has not had a moment's peace since these Ashkenazi Jews invaded Palestine and have been encouraging uh, America, Britain, France, Germany, and other countries to you know, engage in the conflicts in the Middle East. And I, I would put it this way, America had no problems in the Middle East. We were on very good terms with the Arabs in the Middle East, with the Palestinians, with just about every country in the Middle East, including Iraq and Iran, until these Ashkenazi Jews took possession of Palestine, and there hasn't been a moment's peace in the world, not just in the Middle East, but in the world, since these Ashkenazi Jews took over. And I'm sure you've heard of the expression, the incredibly evil Khazarian Mafia. That's oh, yeah. what we're talking about here. The, the, the Rothschilds being the primary banking family, financing these operations, financing the takeover of Palestine, and, so, and even the Ashkenazi Jews and Sephardic Jews have bad blood between them, and they hate each other as well. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so this is the, the situation as I see it. Is there any? Do you see any problems with what I've just described? Not a bit, although I'm tempted to ask a question. Sure. That uh, may strike you as completely moronic. <laughs> and uh, I certainly hope that that's there, not the there case. There are no dumb it. questions. That's what my teacher told me. <laughs> no dumb questions. <laughs> well, the National Socialist Deutsche Arbeiterpartei, oh. uh, that doesn't line up with NAZI. And I'm wondering, I just want to get this off the table or leave it on, okay. depending on what you decide. Does Nazi yeah. and Ashkenazi have anything to any connection whatsoever to the Nazi Party? No, no, that's just a coincidence. I think. Okay. <laughs> okay. I think. I'll, I'll take All it. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right, but here, okay. So getting back to World War One, the uh, I want to get back to the Old Testament, uh, you know, Good. the next segment because, but this is very important. Right. What, what happened was in World War One. Germany was obligated to back up Austria in, in that conflict, okay? Germany was actually the last country to get involved, and they were duty-bound by treaty to help Austria. And, of course, the Austrian Archduke was assassinated by uh, what I believe to be a secret society member, probably a Freemason. There were all kinds of secret societies in Europe in those days. But the, uh, that was the start of World War I, okay? World War I was fought primarily on non-German land. In fact, not a single shot was fired on German land during the entirety of World War I. Uh, while that was going on, the Zionists approached the Kaiser to ask him whether or not they, the Germans would turn Palestine over to the Jews so that they could possess it. And the Kaiser said, I can't do that. You know, that's controlled by Turkey. Okay, so they approached the Turks and asked the uh, the Sultans of the Turks at that time. Well, we would like to make a deal with you so that we can possess Palestine after World War One. And the Sultan says, "I can't do that. I can't. I can't speak for the Palestinian people, even though we control them militarily. I can't give us that entire people over to you." That you know as a as a matter of historical fact, he, you know, he could. I mean, he, if he were bribed, but he refused to be bribed. 
to turn the Palestinian people over to the Zionists. Okay, and when that finally happened, as I said, Lawrence of Arabia was so infuriated that he went on the speaking tour to denounce the Zionists and the British. So, but what happened to Germany was, even though Germany did not lose the war, most people don't understand this. Germany did not lose the war. The war was going badly for everybody. And say that they offered terms of peace, which are status quo ante. In other words, okay, let's just put our guns down and pretend there was never a war and just go back to things the way they were before the war. These are the peace terms that Germany offered all warring parties. And that's actually how World War I ended. However, what happened after World War I, because as you remember, in 1917, the Bolsheviks took over Russia and uh, began uh, their, their cruel dictatorship over the Russian people. Unfortunately, the Germans were involved in that. They actually sent a train uh, full of uh, uh, communists under, under Lenin in a sealed train with $20 million in cash because Germany was at war with Russia at the time. Okay. So they allowed this train to pass through Eastern Europe and arrived in Russia, and that assisted the Bolsheviks in overthrowing Russia during the Russian Revolution. Okay? So at the same time, right after World War I, the, the, uh, Rosa Luxemburg and Karl Niebuhr, two Jewish communists, tried to start a revolution in Germany. And this, this began fighting in the streets of Berlin, and the Kaiser had to abdicate, and he fled to Sweden. It took the remnant of the German army after World War I to put down this Bolshevik revolution to try to restore sanity to, to Germany. But that didn't work. What happened was the Weimar Republic. The Weimar Republic was <laughs> the most mismanaged, uh, poorly run government in, probably in all of European history. And what happened was the Jewish bankers who controlled Weimar Germany, inflated the currency supply so high that the German people were literally starving to death. You had to have a wheelbarrow full of money to buy a loaf of bread. Another story there is uh, uh, a person that would want to buy a cup of coffee for breakfast would have to order two because by the time he finished the first cup, the price had gone up for the second cup, kind of like what's happening here in America, right? <laughs> and so this destruction of the German economy was predictable. The, many historians said, okay, when the League of Nations punished Germany and blamed Germany because Germany was weakened by the Weimar Republic. And so when the, the, the treaty at Versailles was put into effect, that treaty blamed Germany for all of the war, which is the German people were not guilty of. Okay? So because the Tsar had, uh, the, the Kaiser had abdicated, and because there was revolution and Weimar uh, you know, destruction of the economy during the, uh, the treaty, Germany was in an awful position and could not uh, manage to get better terms from what the Weimar you know, people wanted, because the Weimar Republic was not controlled by Germans. It was controlled by Jews and Jewish makers at that. And so many historians said, well, the German people, given the situation, they will come back and fight again, because they have been unjustly accused of precipitating World War I, 
and they have been unjustly accused or unjustly deprived of farmland, factories, their entire economy, et cetera, et cetera. So, so what happened right after that? Well, you can you can expect something somebody like Adolf Hitler to come around after the Germans were mistreated horribly in such a fashion. Okay, so uh, this is the, the actual fact. This is what happened. Okay, so getting back to the Brits and uh, Palestine. So because the League of Nations was formed right after World War One. And they were trying to establish a one-world government. The Rothschilds had invested a lot of money in the League of Nations and were hoping to have a United Nations-style government of the world at, uh, at the League of Nations. Okay, But America refused to uh, get involved. So they did not have support for America. And so the Zionists had no choice but to stage another war, maybe World War II, so that they could get their hands on Palestine yet again. So this time they succeeded, and they also succeeded in creating a one-world government, namely the United Nations. And once the United Nations was established, that's when they created the Israeli state. All right. So this was a banker Zionist operation from the very beginning, and this history is not in our history books because the Zionists do not want anybody to know us. These things, okay? Yeah. You follow me so far? Is there oh, anything? I do. No, okay. totally. This is excellent. Right. Okay. So when the Zionists were able to establish the United Nations, by the way, the United Nations was, the charter was written by none other than Nelson Rockefeller, uh, you know, Robert Baird Rockefeller. Okay. By the way, John D. Rockefeller, he was not a capitalist. He was a monopolist. He said, uh, competition is a sin. Okay, these super rich, they don't believe in competition. They believe in monopoly. They believe in controlling markets. And that's what the United Nations is all about. So Nelson Rockefeller was the primary instrument in writing the U.N. Charter right after World War II. And his partner was none other than the communist Alger Hiss. Okay, so we have a, a super capitalist, Nelson Rockefeller, and the communist Alger Hiss combining to write the U.N. Charter. Now, the U.N. Charter was written specifically to destroy the U.S. Constitution. Okay? Who could deny it? Looking at the evidence. Please yeah. continue. Yeah. Right now, our country is under assault, and all of this that's going on in the world uh, under COVID and the, the global lockdown, as you can see, is being focused on America, because the socialists already have Europe under you know, total control. They have Canada totally under control. They have Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, and the other Anglo-Saxon countries totally under control. The only country that they haven't got full control of is the United States of America. Why? Because we have guns. And also, we have freedom of speech which no other country in the world has ever had freedom of speech, not even in Great Britain, not even in Canada, not even in Australia. They don't have freedom of speech. It's not in their constitutions. So when somebody tries to deny an American freedom of speech, then they are, they're really tampering with the law, okay? And if they try to take our guns away, that's even a greater tampering with the law 
because even George Washington said an armed society is a polite society, right? Okay. And, but the Zionists who want to take over America and the international bankers who want to take over America are not polite. They're not polite people. They are, they've got their heels on our necks, and they hope to drive the, the, the sword into our backs at the first opportunity. However, the Second Amendment has been a thorn in their sides for like 50 years. They've been trying to get rid of the Second Amendment for at least 50 years. And they haven't been able to do it. The Supreme Court has always ruled in favor of the Second Amendment. So what the Democrats, almost always Democrats, have done is they've tried to pick away at uh, you know gun stocks, barrels, uh, you know, the amount of ammunition you can have. By the way, rifles. You know, they're always talking about assault rifles. Yeah. There's almost no incident of assault rifles being used in any of these school shootings. Right or in any of these so-called terrorist acts, you know, there's always it's always handguns, except for the fake ones, <laughs> right? Like the one in New Zealand. We did a story on the uh, the, the New Zealand shooting of the Muslim uh, area, yeah, and sure. that was yeah. like, yeah. Have you seen that video? No, I have. It looks uh, pretty yeah. sub Mickey Mouse. Mickey Mouse was higher yeah, quality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was a Mickey Mouse video. And that's why it, it, the, the shooter went into the uh, mosque, and people were lying on the floor. He was shooting his gun. It was like a video game. There was no blood on the floor. He goes into the back room. He's shooting a few more rounds. And then he comes back out to the same hallway, and there's fewer people on the floor than when he went in. And there's still no blood on the floor. And you so know, the prime well, minister of the... Oh, yeah, go ahead. Okay. I'm, I'm yeah, going to make a note. I'm, 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 yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. Forbade anybody to get a copy of that, that video, but I was able to download it and have a copy of it <laughs> because people, people need to know how fake it is. Well, you know, when I was looking at the police video, I mean, supposedly the shooting in uh, Uvalde, Texas, that massacred, you know, 18 little kids, was supposed to have been done with an AR 15, but if you look at the. Um, it looks like a really, really realistic video game although it purports to be and maybe it is maybe it is but i'm just saying that fakery is really really well done these days so i just wonder how did this how did this kid get two expensive rifles was known to police had mental problems they're saying no he was on ssri drugs and then the other and then the police don't go in there to um they hear the shooting going on in a classroom there's a bunch of them out there with their m4s i presume but nobody goes in there to rescue the kids. Nobody kicks in a door and shoots the perpetrator, none of that stuff. So it's all deception, folks. Vet carefully. This is Caravan of Midnight. Our guest is Pastor Eli James. I'm John D. Wells. We'll be back. up every once in a while you really think these are the end times you really believe there's a god yeah absolutely both what about jesus absolutely read your bible just allow yourself to believe it just for a second and you'll see it but if you're waiting to see it before you believe it you may be waiting a while and the bigger part is this what if the christians are right what if 
everything in Christianity is true. That's a pretty big risk to take. So anybody who's on the fence, I say again, the best way to do this is just allow yourself to believe it. You can always retreat. Just allow yourself to believe it and you'll see it. You really will. We're visiting with Pastor Eli James. So let's just pick it right on up anywhere you want to. Yeah, well, uh, commenting on what you just said, uh, Jesus said you are either for me or against me. And uh, you're not going to be at the judgment day. Uh, you're not going to have be able to sit on the fence, right? There's no fence sitting. And he also said, no one comes to the Father but through me, okay? So that includes everybody who wants to get into the kingdom. They have to accept Jesus Christ as the Messiah and as the leader, Lord, King over all of us, especially in the kingdom, right, which is really close. I mean, we can see that the oppression that the world is facing is so great that I have to tell you, I run into people just about every day who, without even me bringing up the subject, are saying, can you, can you believe the high gas prices? Can you believe the, uh, the way in which the COVID monster is forcing people to either accept the jab or lose their job? This is unprecedented, right? So there's no doubt in my mind that we are in the end times, and this is the Great Tribulation, and that people, especially Christians, better start waking up and smell, smell the stench <laughs> of the New World Order. Right? Uh, globalism. It's, it's all evil. None of it is legitimate. Like I said, the United Nations organization was created to become a one-world government. Klaus Schwab says you will own nothing and like it. Right? That sounds like communism to me, John. Certainly that sounds does. Like yep. Okay. And that, that book he wrote about uh, COVID, actually in 2019, before COVID even came out, that's all about the monstrosity of big government that uh, Klaus Schwab and his, he's actually a Rothschild, he's a literal descendant of uh, Jacob Rothschild, that, uh, that they want total control of the world, and their banking operations are what gives them the power to do so. Okay? This is actually the beast of the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 18, where it says, the beast that rules the world and is an empire of merchants. And it predicts its destruction in Revelation 18. You know, maybe we have time to go there a bit later. But uh, it says that people will see the ships of Mystery Babylon burning, and uh, the merchants of the earth are going to be wailing and moaning because the ships burning on the ocean. They're also going to be burning on the, on the, uh, on the land as well. We actually had a premonition of this. You may recall that a few months ago, a ship from Europe loaded with uh, very expensive cars, you know, Porsches, Mercedes, uh, Audis, etc., set sail from Europe, and one of the vehicles, actually one of the electric vehicles on the ship caught fire. The fire spread from one vehicle to another, and the whole ship burnt down and sank, right? So we actually have a premonition of that happening. And uh, so... I can't imagine how many billions and billions of dollars that ship with all its cargo costs, but this is what's predicted for the ships of Mystery Babylon in Revelation chapter 18. You know, so the warning here is that all of us who are, let's put it this way, who are heavily invested in the global financial system, 
first of all, most of the people who, especially the small players, who've invested in the global financial system, like in the stock market, most of them have lost their shirts multiple times, multiple times. So don't even go there. Don't even go there. Uh, God's economy is we save our money until we can uh, have enough money to purchase what we need. We shouldn't be buying uh, stuff on credit. We shouldn't be buying stuff that uh, has been made in, uh, in China because that's based on slave labor, right? We shouldn't be purchasing. You know, they make a big stink about Jordan's uh, shoes being made in uh, Taiwan or wherever in sweatshops. Where kids are. But what about China? Those people aren't free. They don't have any ability to check, uh, elect their rulers, okay? So you know, the global economic system is based on total control of markets, absolute control of markets, and they, they don't want competition. There's no competition there. So all these leftists coming out of college blaming capitalism for what's going on in the world are utterly clueless. It's not capitalism. It's global monopoly. Okay? Yeah. That's what it is. All right? Go ahead. No, no, you keep going. No, no, no. All right, so this is the nature of the beast that we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. And, uh, And it's hard for me to understand why so few people, especially Christians, I can understand why liberals don't understand because they've been brainwashed in the colleges which are run by the global dictatorship, right? <laughs> and those people are actually the pawns of the game. You know, look, uh, it's obvious George Soros and his ilk are financing Black Lives Matter and uh, you know, Antifa and such organizations. In fact, they have financed from the very beginning the infiltration of our schools and colleges with left-wing teachers, okay, teaching socialism and Marxism in the schools and all this gender-bending stuff, which is just uh, another version of the Marxist destruction of the family, right? Uh, They swore that they would destroy the family of the bourgeois, which is you and me, middle class, all right? And so this is the, this is the game plan. And but I, I see, I have some hope here, John, that the middle class is starting to wake up. It's not because they understand economics or even scripture, but they understand that somebody, especially Joe Biden, who they all agree stole the election. I mean, every conservative person I know agrees that Biden stole the election. And he's an illegitimate resident of the White Completely. House. Yeah, okay. And they know there's something seriously, seriously wrong. And they know there's something seriously wrong with the medical profession when it forcibly injects people or intimidates them or bribes them. It's called incentivization to get this jab without which you cannot buy or sell. So if this is Bible prophecy coming true, I don't know when it is. <laughs> okay. Right. So, yeah, all right. Now, the odd thing is, I remember even in the, as late as the 60s and 70s, there were more Christian ministers preaching against the New World Order than there are today. What happened to them? Why aren't they preaching the same thing today? Well, because they've been bought out, right? Any, any 501c3 church is automatically beholden to the IRS, to the tax system. They have to pledge... Uh, various pledges to the IRS 
and therefore they no longer are under the dominion of God. They have a new God called the state. They are working for the state, literally working for the state, and no longer working for Yahweh God. This is the way it is. And that, that law, the 501c3, it's not, it's not mandatory. 501c3 is voluntary, but it's laid out so that the churches get larger donations and don't have to pay taxes on these donations. You know, that's how LBJ, LBJ is the one who designed this 501c3 uh, catastrophe. Total losers. Right, absolutely, absolutely. So this infiltration of the colleges and the churches actually began in around 1910 with the uh, inter- uh, Intercollegiate Socialist Society, which was dedicated to infiltrating the colleges and universities and churches. It became the League for Industrial Democracy and the tax-exempt corporations of the Rothschilds, Rockefellers, the Mellons, the Morgans, even the Ford uh, Foundation has been funding these groups to take over from the inside to subvert our schools, our churches, and just about everything else in our society. So these have been working behind the scenes. As Peter said, they have crept in unawares. They have crept in unawares. Because why? Because our Anglo-Saxon and most people around the world can't imagine the craftiness and the sinister design that the Zionists and Talmudists have imposed upon the world. All right? Good people just can't imagine that there'd be something so evil lurking in the closet, not just in the closet, but at the bank, at the school, at the church, etc. As as Paul said in Second Thessalonians chapter two, the whole world will be caught in a delusion. And that and, uh, and how do you spell delusion? C O V I D. Absolutely. That's how you spell delusion. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. This is where we're at. So I don't know if there's any listeners here who don't want to hear this, who think this analysis is too far-fetched, but this is what's happening, okay? Yeah. It, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, you, they may not like this either, uh, Pastor Elon, <laughs> a bit, okay. uh, but here it comes. This is from uh, Eurofolkradio.com. It says, the myth that the Jews are the Israelites of the Bible is being exploded here on Eurofolkradio.com. We share this information with all the white people you know. And, right. Okay, no, we're not, we're not, okay, here it comes. All historical depictions of Yahshua prove that he was white. All of the statuary and coinage of the Greco-Roman world depicts only white people. The Shroud of Turin shows a white man. Here is a description of Sarah from the Dead Sea Scrolls. Her skin was pure white. She had long, lovely hair. Her limbs were smooth and rounded. Her thighs were shapely, in parenthesis. She had slender legs and small feet. Her hands were slim and long, and so were her fingers. And um, Pontius Pilate's letter to Tiberius Caesar describes Yahshua as having blonde hair. Right. You roll with this, right. so to speak? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I, actually, I was going to quote the uh, description of Sarah. That actually comes from the Dead Sea Scrolls, okay, which, yes. uh, and, and, which is pretty much known to all scholars, but not quoted by anybody. <laughs> right? Right. Okay. <laughs> right. Okay. So, except you and me, <laughs> you just quoted it. So, th- this is the situation. Okay. So, so actually, that's a perfect uh, feedback into the story of Abraham and Sarah. Okay. 
So we found out that Abraham and his uh, concubine, actually wife, no, I'm sorry, Hagar was a concubine because Sarah was barren, and she felt sorry that Abraham didn't have a son. So it was Sarah herself who suggested to Abraham to have Hagar, and so he could impregnate her and have a son, which was Ishmael. And uh, the, the Bible tells us that Ishmael was a wild man, okay? He is the progenitor of the Arabs. The, the Arabs themselves agreed to this. So let me just read this uh, document. Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can. Okay, yeah, because I had to switch arms here to uh, get this uh, article here. Okay. All right, this is, this is from uh, 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 an Arab scholar, okay? And he says... Abraham and Ishmael are said to have built the foundation of the Kaaba. They were raising the foundation of the house, Quran, to 127. Meccans and most Arabs at the time of Muhammad believed that Ishmael settled in Mecca was their ancestor and built with Abraham the Kaaba, which they revered from old times. They considered themselves to be the descendants of Ishmael. And Muhammad was, in fact, white. <laughs> okay. In fact, all Arabs were white until the conversion to Islam, when they actually started importing slaves from Africa, India, you name it. They started importing slaves from everywhere and That's began it. mixing with them. Go ahead. That's right. That's why the Egyptians okay. are almost, a real pure-blood Egyptians are almost extinct. Right. Well, I was going to say, Ham settled in Egypt, and if you go down the, the courtyard of the kings, and you look at all the faces of all those kings depicted, they're all white. They all have Caucasoid features, okay? All of this proves that Ham, Shem, and Japheth were, in fact, white people. Huh? So where did the Jews come in? <laughs> well, let's uh, dispense with Keturah real quickly. And so, like I said, the Keturans were, Keturah was the second wife of Abraham. And they comprised the people mainly of eastern Mesopotamia, and as far east as uh, India and Iran, okay? The original Indo-Aryans were actually descendants of Keturah, and the Brahmins, so-called, are descendants of Abraham and Keturah. The Brahmins worshipped Abraham. It was ancestor worship, and they sacrificed both, just like Abraham did, right? Uh, the cow worship, you know, the sacred cow business, that came many centuries later. That's Hinduism. But the worship of the Brahmins is the same as the, the worship of Abraham, but they turned it into ancestor worship. So all these people are, in fact, white. In fact, we have people uh, in, in India today that still bear the features of the Brahmins. Okay? So the, the fact is, uh, from the document that you just read, all this area of the, of the, uh, the statuary coinage offshows, uh, you don't find any non-white visages in any of the coinage and statuary, period. You just don't, okay? So where did the Jews come in? Well, let's go. We need to talk about Abraham and Sarah. So Abraham married Sarah, and she was barren. So what happened was, well, Yahweh uh, appeared to Abraham and said, in a year, you're going to bear a son by Sarah. And this is when Sarah heard this, she laughed, <laughs> right? She laughed when she heard this. I have 99 years old. I guess she was 90, and Abraham was 99. 
And uh, she said, I can't believe this. This is too funny. <laughs> right? So she laughed. Uh, nevertheless, this, and, and Abraham kind of snickered. Right? Neither one could believe. Well, well this is God, Yahweh God telling them that they will okay. bear a son. <laughs> right. Okay? Yeah, you got to believe that. Yeah, you got to believe the Creator, right? Who else are you going to believe? All right? So indeed, Sarah got pregnant and gave birth to Isaac. Isaac was then the uh, inheritor of the covenant, the covenant message. No, so uh, so Ishmael was excluded from the covenant. He, he was given a blessing, but he was not given the covenant. The Keturians were not, uh, as far as I can tell, were not even giving a blessing, but nevertheless, they all populated the Middle East, and this is what's called the the great numbers of nations coming from the loins of Abraham. This is the fulfillment of that prophecy. So Sarah now bears Isaac, and Isaac and Rebekah, she was also barren for a while, and Re- Rebekah and Isaac were praying for a child. And so I'm going to quote from Genesis 25. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padanaram the sister of Laban, the Syrian. And Isaac entreated Yahweh for his wife because she was barren. And Yahweh was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled together within her. And she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. Now, I'm sure most mothers can sympathize with what Rebekah is going through here. She's got twins in her womb, and they're wrestling with each other. Okay? So she asked, why am I thus? And Yahweh said unto her, two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other, and the elder shall serve the younger. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb, and the first came out red all over like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. Okay? So, the story of Jacob and Esau continues, and it's these two, they're not uh, identical twins, they're fraternal twins of the same parents. Okay? and But nevertheless, they didn't like each other. Jacob was a, a more studious, obedient child, and Esau was a hunter. He liked to go out hunting, and he was not an obedient child, okay? And so when uh, when Esau came back out from hunting one day, he saw that Jacob had some pottage, Genesis 20, 20, 25, 29. And Jacob sawed pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore, his name was called Edom. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die, and what profit shall this birthright do me? And Esau, then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage and lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Mm-hmm. Okay, Pastor. You know what? We are we're running out of show. Okay, we're, we're running out of program. But I wonder. 
Uh-huh. Could you could you come back on like a, I don't mean in a month. I don't necessarily even mean in a week. I mean like soon, so we can carry on with this. And I'll tell you why. I think the uh, I think the moment is upon us. Number one, you're you're a great speaker and a great teacher. But the other part is that, uh, and I'm not talking about the exaltation of white people. I know plenty of white trash out there. I'm pretty sure everybody does. That's not what this is about at all. Not at all. It's about truth, whatever it is. That's what we want. Yeah. But I'm thinking if we don't. into uh, who the Jews are and who they descended from. Well, that okay. means that we got to pick this up, and I'm writing that down. But, <laughs> but, but here's the thing. Right. I'm, I'm thinking if we don't do this now, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. If we do believe right. that these are the end times, I think we better get to talking yes. about it and bring as many people into the kingdom as we can. Right. Okay. Well, I'm going right. to be out of town next week, but I certainly will be able to do a show on my cell phone wherever I'm at. So All right. We'll make it easy. Know. I will right. really do it. Thank you so much for coming okay. on tonight. God bless you. You're very welcome. Thank you. God bless you, too. Bye-bye. Everyone the Bridge of the Ark, God bless you, everyone, and good night.